Some people say, well, I met so-and-so. I remember years ago when I was in the Boy Scouts. Can you believe I was in the Boy Scouts 100 years ago? Uh, we had a jamboree, I think, in Tuscarora, and Andy Griffin came, and, I, and he rode through on the car, and I had a chance to see him. I didn't talk to him, but as a, as a young boy, I saw him. He's an old man then, I can't believe. But anyway, uh, people say, well, I met so-and-so, and I met so-and-so. And then occasionally somebody said, well, I met somebody. I met somebody, and they changed my life. I, heard a, I had a Sunday school teacher who changed my life. I had an English teacher in high school that changed my life. I, I met so-and-so, a motivational speaker, and they changed my life. Or somebody in the business world uh, that you admired, and you met them, and their, their, their drive or their, their wisdom changed your life. People say they changed, that changed my life. Well, can I tell you, if those of you who are here who know the Lord, you testify that there's been one person who changed your life, transformed you when you met Jesus. And somebody said, uh, I believe Brother Ward said not long ago, he said, my, my name is Ward Taylor. If you, don't, if you forget me, it doesn't mean a thing. But if you don't know Jesus, it, it, it means everything. So you need to know him. It transforms you. And the theme of Vacation Bible School is transformation, being transformed. And uh, the way the Holy Ghost of God does that. But there must be an initial meeting of the Lord. And one thing that transforms a church and one thing that transforms individuals is not just knowing him as a personal savior, but having an encounter with him in worship. You remember the disciples followed the Lord for three and a half years. He taught them, instructed them, and God blessed them. After the Lord ascended back to heaven, he said, Terry, in Jerusalem, till you be endued with power. And he said, the Holy Ghost of God's going to come. And when the Holy Spirit of God came and filled that room, those disciples was, were transformed from that night forward until their death. Most of them died a martyr's death. But they filled Jerusalem and all of that area with their, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that birth of the Holy Spirit of God coming on the day of Pentecost, they, they met God and knew him in a very real way. When you meet him, it'll change your life forever. In your study in vacation Bible school this week, you're going to find out that individuals met the Lord and what transformed their life was an encounter with him. I've been reading devotionally through uh, the, uh, the Old Testament, and I'm now in the latter part of Second Chronicles, but there's a passage of Scripture here that's been on my mind and heart. And I want to just share that with you this morning. You remember the history of Israel? God brought them out of bondage, brought them into the land of Canaan. They served uh, the Lord faithfully there for a while. They went through the period of the judges, and then they began to clamor for a king. We've got to have a king. And so God gave them a king, King Saul. He was dis dis dethroned, and David reigned in his place. David was a good king. David was human like you and I are human, and, uh, and he failed the Lord many times, but he loved God with all of his heart. Near the end of his death, he had a passion to build a temple. They had been worshiping all this time from the time of Moses in the tabernacle. And he wanted to build a place of worship for the Lord and uh, a house for him where they could meet with the Lord. And God allowed David to gather all the materials, but he would not allow David to build the temple because he was a man of war. But he said, your son Solomon will build the temple. So when you come to Second Chronicles, that's exactly what happened. I don't have time to go into all the detail of it. You'll read it sometime. It was, it was a, the, a most impressive structure. It was awesome. And it was covered with gold and, and finery and everything. God blessed and the construction of it. And then in chapter 6, 
Solomon prays a prayer. Now, most of you are familiar with the passage in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, where the Lord said, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, I'll heal their land. But that was a response of the Lord to the prayer of Solomon in chapter 6. The, Solomon had prayed a most earnest prayer. The temple was ready. The people were gathered. They had thousands and thousands of animals to sacrifice. And Solomon prayed. And he said, Lord, we, I want to ask you this. God, I pray that your eyes will be upon this place and that your ear will be attentive to the prayer made in this place. And Lord, if your people sin and you send judgment, if you withhold the rain or send pestilence and you send judgment, if they repent in their heart and come back to you and cry out to you in this place for you to forgive their sins and heal their land, Lord, please heal them. And then he said, if, if, you, if they go into battle and they disobeyed you and the enemy defeats them and, and they, are, they are scattered because of those defeats. And God, if they realize that they've gone off without you and they failed you in battle, if they'll repent and cry out to you, God, please listen to their cry and please redeem them and please give them the victory. And then he said, Lord, if they sin you and sin so awfully that God, you have to uproot them out of the land and scatter them into the far corners of the world. God, if while they're there, they remember what you've done for them. If they remember how great a God you are, if they remember that, then God, if they'll turn to you even in another land, and if they pray and seek your face, God, please forgive them and heal heal this land. Now, I want to pick up the reading along that line in chapter number 6. And with all that said as introduction, look at chapter 6, verse 36. Here's a continuation of this lengthy prayer. And if they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them over before their enemies, and they carry them away captives into a land far off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive, and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done amiss, and have dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whether they are carried, where, where they have carried them captives, and pray toward their land which thou gavest them unto their fathers, and toward the city which thou hast chosen toward the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from heavens, from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication. And maintain their cause and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Now, my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open and let thy ears be attentive unto the prayer that's made in this place. Now, therefore, rise, O Lord God, into this, uh, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength, let thy priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. Now, I'm not through with the reading. I'm going to start with chapter 7. He prays this as kind of the concluding part of his prayer. And he's saying, God, if they're scattered anywhere, 
And he said, they be think. That means they remember. And I'll tell you how God orchestrated this this morning. We started off singing, we've come into this house to worship thee. And then the choir song, remember, I will remember. And so they remembered the goodness of God. You know, I'm thinking about that prodigal son. He gathered all that belonged to him, took it, went off into a far country and wasted his substance and riotous living. And when everything else was gone and all his friends was gone, the Bible said he came to himself. And he said, how many hired servants of my father have food enough and to spare? I will arise and go to my father. He came to himself and he remembered what it was like. He remembered how good God was. And sometimes you get out of God's will and sometimes you get away from the Lord. And and, and it's in the divine providence of God that you remember what he used to do. And remember how good he is. And when you focus on him, business picks up. And so look in chapter number 7 verse 1. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying and the fire... The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. When God shows up, when the Holy Ghost of God comes and the fire falls and the glory of God, I I don't know if you see this or not. These people have worked, they've gathered, they've given, they've got the material all gathered and now God has given skilled craftsmen. They built this beautiful building, the, the temple and the man of God The king of Israel has prayed and asked God to be merciful and God to show mercy to the people and to hear their prayers. And all the people are standing around and the sacrifices are ready and everything's ready. And at that particular moment, God shows up and the fire comes down from heaven and consumes all the sacrifices and the glory of God. I don't know what it looked like. This week, if I've read and thought about that, I don't know. I'm thinking, I, I don't know if it was like a cloud that came rolling in. I don't know if it came down like a funnel cloud out of heaven and filled that place. I don't know if it was like a holy smoke that they're talking about and it filled the, the, the temple and it came out. I don't know what it was or whether it was like a bright shining. I don't know if it was a brilliant light that all of a sudden when the fire failed, the offerings were consumed and the whole place just lit up like fireworks and the glory of God was revealed and God demonstrated himself and the people People saw all that. I mean, it wasn't human. It wasn't emotion. It wasn't worked up. It was the presence of a holy God that made the difference. And my dear friend, it is not emotionalism that makes a difference. It is the presence of a holy God that will work, make the difference in our, in our lives, in our church. And if you'll ever meet him, you'll never be the same. If you ever have an encounter with God like that, you'll never be the same. It'll change you. It'll make you different. And you'll never forget that kind of encounter when you meet with God. Notice, if you will, please, in this Pastor Scripture. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray the Holy Ghost of God now, oh God, would make this not a Bible study, not a sermon, but God a reality. I pray God, Lord, for your divine presence.
presence to be so real that God, Lord, that your presence be so real, people believe they could touch you. I believe, I pray God that you'd be so real that people would come under conviction and that God's people would be overwhelmed with your goodness. And God, it's not by man, it's by the Holy Ghost. And I ask, sweet Holy Ghost of God, to move and bless and touch lives and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've studied through this passage of Scripture and read over this devotionally, and then God began to deal with my heart, and I looked at it more in detail. I was, I was struck by this thought. What do you see when you see God like he really is? What do, you, what do you see when you see him like he really is? Oh, we think about it as he feeds the 5,000. We think about his miracles, and we think about all these other things he does. But what did they see when they saw the Lord? I, I notice in this passage of Scripture, first of all, there's the manifestation of his presence. His presence came down, the Bible said, as a consuming fire. The presence of God came and that fire came down from heaven. Much like on the day of Pentecost when the fire was demonstrated with the cloven tongues of fire. His fire, that presence of God. You know what fire does to you? Fire burns out the dross. Did you know that fire will purge and cleanse and his, his presence is a cleansing presence. The Bible said that he that hath this hope, that is the hope of the return of the Lord, purifies himself. And when he gets close to you and the closer he gets to you, you don't want to do anything to offend him. You don't want to think anything that's wrong. You don't want to do anything that's wrong. And, and his presence is, a, is like a fire. It's purifying. It's purifying. And that fire came as a purifying thing. That, that fire consumed those sacrifices. It, it burned up those sacrifices they had. That, that fire, my dear friend, is, is, is a warming thing. It's, it was a, something they could feel. I, I, I don't know if you've been, and this is a very poor illustration, but it's the only one I got right now. I, I don't know if you've been to a hibachi grill or not where they get around and cook. Clara, used to, she used to be, it used to traumatize her to go to the hibachi grill. I mean, that guy, he's doing the nice, but then when he'd get all those things together and, he'd, and he does the smiley face and he makes the volcanoes or whatever, and at some point in time, all of you know that in the very beginning, that he'll take and, and he'll, he'll ignite that thing. And it's, whew, boy, I mean, and it, it's a burst of light and a burst of heat. And, and, it, and it's just warm. We were somewhere and I, I, we were, people were talking about how cold it was in there. And when he hit that fire, just that quick, I mean, it was warm. And that presence of God warms our heart. You know what? The best cure for a cold heart is a presence of God. If you get in his presence, he'll warm your heart. I mean, that he's a consuming fire. And he demonstrates that as he came. You get close to God and you'll have a heart that's passionate for the things that he's passionate for. You'll have a warm heart and he's not only manifest himself by fire, but the Bible said his glory, his glory filled the house. Oh, what an awesome picture. His, and it was such that the priest couldn't even go in to the temple. God was so real in that place. God was all over that place. And whether it was a bright light or sparklers, or if whether it was a cloud, I don't know. But God's presence was so real, they couldn't even go into the place. God was all over that place. He manifested his glory. I mean, they knew it was God. They, they wasn't emotion. It wasn't some trickery. It was God. Have you ever got in his presence? I'm talking about really, really in his presence. Have you ever been in a place where God moved in? I've been in revivals and camp meetings and church services when I knew God moved in. 
I, most time we walk by faith and not by sight. But I have been in places where God the Holy Ghost moved in. And when he come across that place, it was unmistakable. Not one person, saint nor sinner, couldn't deny the fact that God was in that place. I've seen people where they were afraid to breathe. They wouldn't get up. They wouldn't get up and go out for nothing in the world. They'd afraid they'd die. And God the Holy Ghost is so real. And I've seen people in, in a situation like that when some would shout and some would rejoice and some would praise God. Some would weep quietly. But every person there felt the presence and the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you what makes the difference in a church and what makes the difference in your life and what is the transforming effect is that presence of God in a church service. One of our men who's been with us now for a couple of years called me the other day and he said, the first time I walked in that church, I felt God. Can I tell you, I, I, I want to be used of God. I thank God for Brother Brad and the choir. Thank God for all the music. Thank God that God lets me preach. But I'm going to tell you what will make the difference is not me, nor the choir, nor the music, but it's God's presence in this place. And when his glory is here, and when his power is here, it's an awesome, convicting thing. Notice not only the manifestation of his presence, but will you notice the response to that manifestation? It says this in this passage of Scripture, that when God showed up, when his glory was there, the, he couldn't go in, but it goes on in verse 3. And when all the children of Israel saw the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house they bowed themselves. Now, I want you to notice the little article back in verse 3, verse the third word. And when all the children. Now, I've been in services when God was a moving and God was blessing and he was real. But there'd be, a, you know, half a dozen people or dozen or two dozen that could care. They didn't have a clue what was going on. They'd sit there like a calf looking at a new gate. They didn't have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God. They didn't know what was going on, but they didn't feel a thing. They didn't know. They didn't have a clue. But wouldn't you like to be in one service one time when all Israel, when every person from the oldest to the youngest, from the one who's here every service to the one who just comes occasionally on Sunday morning, wouldn't you like to be in one service when God moved in in such a way that every person in that building had an encounter with a holy God? I mean, listen, it wasn't a corporate experience. It was a personal experience. All of them, they all were together corporately, but every one of them met God, saw God, felt God, knew God in that particular moment. Wouldn't you like to be in a service like that somewhere one time when God would so manifest himself that you knew that you were in the presence of a holy God? And listen, everyone, what happens when you get in a situation like that? Oh, you say, well, I do this, that, and the other. But I'm going to tell you about it. every time in the Bible that happens, the very same response. The Bible said, look at it in chapter number six and verse uh, seven, verse three. And it says, and when they saw that they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground. I'm telling you one thing. There's nothing that it caused us to get in the right position as the presence of God. They bowed their face to the ground. I mean, when he comes into the presence, oh, you can't, you know what he could, he could make every one of us bow this morning. He can move across this place and he could put us on our face before him. And listen, it's not human manipulation. It's not emotional. It's the very presence of God. And at his knee, at his, at his name, at his presence, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But I sure would like to see it one time for that time came. I'd like to see it one time when God was so real in the church house that every person would bow on their face before God. I'm talking about not just
just emotionally. I'm talking about the real thing. When you come in his presence, the Bible said when they came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus. He said, I am he. And when you look at your King James Bible, he says, I am. And the he is in italics. He just said that one word, I am. Just like he told Moses. Moses said, who's going to, who did I say is sent? He said, you say, I am. He said, that God Jehovah sent thee. And in that garden, he identified himself as being Jehovah God. And he said, I am. The Bible said those, those soldiers fell as dead men at his feet. I want to tell you one thing. His presence brings us to that place. There's not one person, not one person who has a right or who would even think the closer you are to God, the more likely you are to bow before him at his presence. And my dear friend, it is a humbling position. When his presence is real, people humble themselves before him. They bow before him. It is a place of humbleness, but it's also a place of submission. They've come to that place where they bow before him as a servant. I mean, I want people to serve God. I want people to be faithful to God. But there's nothing to make you serve God like meeting him. And you get in his presence. People won't have to hunt you up. They won't have to try to recruit you. You'll just be yielded to him, surrendered to him. It is a place of humility. It is a place of surrender. My dear friend, listen, it is a place of acknowledgement. It is when you bow before him and you acknowledge him as supreme. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. My dear friend, listen, oh, what a great God he is. And they bowed before him. They bowed before him. Notice the second thing that they did. They only bowed before him, but they worshiped him. They worshiped him in that position of bowing, in humility, in submission, in adoration and acknowledgement, they worship him. They magnify him. Oh, listen, in every testimony that I've ever given just about, there's a little bit of me in every one of them. And same way with you. Every testimony you've ever good been about how good God is, there's still a little bit of you in it. But when you get in his presence like that, there's none of us. And it's all about him. And we worship him and adore him and magnify him. He's a great God. On just one little occasion this week, when I got up to do my journal, I got to starting off and I just started thanking him. And as I thought, began to thank him, boy, I just got writing down little things and my heart got overwhelmed and I just quit writing. I couldn't do it. God is so real and he's so good. And I, I, if you get in his presence, you'll worship him. You'll worship him in the presence of the Lord. Oh, that song, in the presence of Jehovah. Oh, my dear friend, you'll worship him. You'll tell him, in somebody's simple definition, you simply tell him what he's worth. You acknowledge him for who he is, king of kings. What a wonderful song the choir just sang. Oh, acknowledging him, we will remember him as Savior and sufficient and Lord and all those things. Not only do they worship him, but notice what else it said. It said they praised him. They worshiped him, praised him. And so there's a connection between worship and praise, but there are two distinct things as well. They began to be overwhelmed with this goodness. Now, what are they thanking him for? Are they thanking him for biscuits and bread and all those things? I don't, I, I'm not sure what they were thanking him for, but there were two distinct things that, that I saw. What, if you get in close to God, how, do you, how, how would you define him? How would you, how would you, what would you say to him? How, how would you praise him pro- appropriately? Notice what it said. And there are two things. They said this. They said they praised him saying, he is good and his mercy endureth forever. I mean, when all, when all the 
facade is gone, when all hypocrisy is gone, when all the preconceived ideas are gone, and you just stand before him in his awesome presence, there are two things going to stand out in your mind. Number one, his goodness. That word goodness is the Old Testament word, that Hebrew word there, same word that Paul uses over, over again, for the grace of God, by the grace of God. It is the grace of God. He is a gracious God. And when you come in his presence, you see him like he really is. You'll see he is a gracious God. Oh, listen, he's been so good to us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But that graciousness is him. He is good. He is gracious. He's a gracious God. Oh, if you could just see him like he is this morning. The grace of God. That is God's grace extended to you. He is a gracious God. God's been so good to us. God has been so good to us. You think about what he's done, how he's blessed us, but he saved us and he gave his own son. It was his grace that took his son to the cross. It was his grace that caused his son to shed his blood. It was his grace that sent the Holy Ghost of God to convict us. It was his grace that sent somebody to tell us about Christ. It was his grace that the Holy Ghost of God convicted us of our sin. It was his grace that the Spirit of God regenerated us and made us a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. It was his grace They're saving grace and sustaining grace. And he gives it to us every day. There's that new grace he gives us. He is a gracious God. We'd all be in hell today if it wasn't for his grace. And when you get in his presence, the thing that's going to be overwhelming to you is his grace. We we are wicked and we're sorry. We're good for nothing. I don't care our best day. We deserve to be in hell. But it's his grace. And we are what we are by the grace of God. And when you get in his presence, you acknowledge that there's no good thing in me. All I can do is bow before him and say, thank you for your goodness, for your grace. You forgave me of all my sin. You see that? Oh, he's a great good God. He's a good God. But the second thing was this. They saw his mercy. Oh, listen, you know what? I think I'm pretty good sometimes. There's times I think I'm pretty good. I get phone calls, and, it, and, and I had a guy to call me the other day, and he's, he's contacted us before the highway shepherd, and he called me on Saturday, heading down towards Wilmington with his family. And he said, Brother Bill, I can't believe I'm actually talking with the highway shepherd. And he said, I just want you to know, that the, the minister of the highway ship said, I've been saved a long time. He's a, he's a, he's a contractor and a very intelligent man and uh, very articulate. But he said, I'll tell you, he said, the highway shepherd has transformed my life. He said, I listen to the CDs and my family, we, we get together now, we do family devotions in the morning and we listen to a little bit of the highway shepherd and it's, it's brought our family close to God and all those things. And I think about all that and I think about what God's done and all the people that help us and all the things that I've seen God do. And yet when I get in his presence, I don't think about none of that. I think about if it wasn't for his mercy, I'd be in hell today. And if it wasn't for his mercy, I'd be consumed. The Bible said his mercies are new every morning. I'm not talking about just since I got, when I got saved, his mercies were sufficient and his grace was sufficient and his mercy was extended that he could forgive me all my sin. But for all the foolishness I've done since I've been saved and for all the times I've failed him since I've been saved and I recognize that I, I could pick you out of two or three 
occasion. But when you get in His presence, you'll see that it's new every morning because you need it every morning and you need it every day. And we don't realize how wicked we are. We don't realize how, how far we walk away from Him. But when you get in His presence, you realize that the reason you're still living is because of His mercy and His mercy is extended to you every day. Get in His presence and see His grace. Get in His presence and see His mercy. And my dear friend, you'll worship Him when you do that. It's all about Him. It's a mag- magnify the Lord. He's wonderful. And thank God. He, they acknowledged two things in this quickly. They acknowledged, my dear friend, not only who He is, but they acknowledge what they need when they get in His presence. Now, what do you really need? What do you really need? We're talking about the things we need. We need a new pair of shoes, and we need another car, and we need this, and we need that. But when you get in His presence... You don't get to thinking about you need a new appliance in your kitchen. You don't get to thinking about you need to paint the house. You don't get to thinking about you need a better job or you need a better friend or you need a better this or better that. When you get in his presence, you acknowledge the two things that you need more than anything else. And that is, number one, you need his goodness. You need his grace. And number two, you need his mercy. If you've experienced his grace and his mercy, everything else works out. It's his grace and his goodness. You know what David said? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want it. It makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He said, he said, my cup runneth over. Thou anointest my head with oil. And he goes on and says this. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Oh, he's the king. But as long as goodness and mercy is with him, he's going to live in the heaven for all eternity. My dear friend, I don't care who you are. You need goodness and you need mercy. But David said, I want to thank him that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Get in his presence. Oh, I pray he'd make yourself known. I pray you can get in his presence and acknowledge who he is, but acknowledge what you need more than anything is his grace and his mercy. Have you some way in, small, in a small amount, can you acknowledge the fact that, yes, I have experienced his grace, I have experienced his mercy, but I, I'll tell you one thing. If you get in his presence, you'll see that that wasn't just an add-on. That wasn't, you just needed a little bit. You needed every bit of it you could get. And when you get to glory, you know what you're going to say? I've made it. I've made it because of the grace of God and the mercies of God. And it had nothing to do with me. It was him. Thank God for that. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Holy Ghost of God, would you be pleased to move upon our hearts? David sought to build the temple for you to reside in. You allowed Solomon to build the temple. But God, all that beautiful structure was nothing without the very presence of a holy God. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this building. But, oh, God, there's nothing that makes a difference in this building like your divine presence. I pray the Holy Ghost of God will move upon the hearts of your people. I pray, God, that they'll feel compelled to get on their face before you and acknowledge you and thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. Oh, God, 
have mercy. I pray, God, that God, you'd move among your people. Help us this morning, oh God, to worship you and magnify you. Help us to praise you, our Father, and thank you for your mercy and for your grace. You are a great God. You're a gracious God. You're a merciful God. And God, we don't know how to express it. But God, I pray the Holy Ghost of God will help some, and maybe every person in this building, to experience it and acknowledge it this morning. I'm going to have you to stand with your heads bowed. I want you just to do just exactly what the Holy Ghost of God tells you to do. And I'll close the invitation in just a moment. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I know if you're lost, you ought to get saved. I know if you're out of His will, you ought to come confess your sin. I know if you're walking close to Him as you can, you recognize it's His mercy and grace. Perhaps you want to just get on your face before Him and worship Him. And worship Him. And worship Him. Worship Him and praise Him. Oh, His presence will make the difference. His presence is transforming. It's not how you lead our service. It's not how you preach. They're not tricks of the trade. It's His presence. Without His anointing, without His presence, all is vain. God, I pray the Holy Ghost to come. Oh, God, I pray you'd have mercy. I pray you'd have mercy and grace. Thank you. God, I pray your children experience that afresh this morning. Holy Ghost of God, thank you. Thank you. You've come around the altar and in the auditorium. You're thanking him, worshiping him. If you need somebody to pray with you this morning, will you just kind of raise your hand, acknowledge it, look here and let me get somebody to pray with you. If you're not saved this morning, you want to get saved. God, the Holy Ghost, he's real. I wish you'd know he's real. I wish you could meet him one time. I wish you could fellowship with him one time. I wish one time the veil be pulled back. I wish one time the glory be manifest. I wish one time you could be ushered into that white hot presence of a holy God and it to be a purifying experience for you and a worship experience for you. And it warm the depth of your heart and burn out every bit of coldness and all the backsliding in your heart. And he'd make your brain, you could transform you by being in his presence. Being in his presence. The Bible said there's coming a day that when we leave this world, we'll be like him. The Bible says, for we shall see him as he is. In that transformation to enter that eternal land, we'll be transformed by the very appearance of our Savior. If you meet him this morning, if you get in his presence this morning, 